right. It's almost October, isn't it? Can you believe it? can't believe it. It seems like this year has just flown by and we're going to be writing 2018 and, well, probably 17 and then correcting it to 18. But, well, tonight I want to talk to you about a few things that uh, just in my normal Bible study this just jumped out at me and I felt like I'm gonna, we're going to work on this for, for tonight. And so we've been, I've been just meditating and thinking through this portion of Scripture. It's a familiar portion of Scripture we're going to look at eventually, but we're going to look at it a little differently than normal. But before we do that, to just segue into it, uh, I don't know how many of you are like this, but how, how many of you just, you know, threw the football around as a kid? That's it, really? No? Okay, thank you. And I don't know about you, but I know the guys I threw the football around with, and when we do ever play football, every guy wanted to be the star. They may not have said that, but, you know, there's this saying in sports, you know, it's give me the rock. You ever heard that? You want to be the star. And Anybody know who this is? Seriously, nobody? Larry Johnson from back in the day, a little bit. But the thing is, everybody looks at the superstars like this, and they think about that because he wants that ball and he wants to run, right? Nobody wants to be the blockers for the runners. We all want to be the runner, or we want to be the one that's throwing, or we want to be the receiver. And even when you throw the ball with your friends, I remember as a kid, you know, or then with, if it's with your parents or whoever, you know, you practice running routes and all that, but nobody practices, like, blocking. You just don't do that because you're thinking about the big plays, and it's funny how that is because we, we focus on that kind of thing. And it, when you think about like even a football game and a football team and how that works, the superstars couldn't play the game by themselves. It would never happen. It just wouldn't. It would never happen because there's so many supporting people behind the scenes or supporting cast to the stars that make it all happen. And, and a lot of times they don't get the credit. You know, You don't usually see posters of the linemen. Except for back, does anybody remember the, the, the Iron Curtain or the Purple People Eaters, those kind of things? But outside of that, you don't often see that kind of thing. seems like all we do is focus on the big guys. And I do remember, I know a lot of quarterbacks, you know, really treat their offensive line well because they understand that if those guys don't block, then those, those uh, quarterbacks won't last very long. But it seems like we always have this kind of a fascination with superstars, like the star, the person up front gets all the attention, and we forget all the supporting cast and the people that have to be behind the scenes to make anything actually happen. And it kind of happens in churches. I don't, not this church necessarily, but it kind of happens in church where the people up front, you, you, may, you probably don't think this because you're smarter than this, but a lot of times people think that's how the church is or that, that's the whole church, and it's not. It just isn't. Do you think about, you know, if it's the people on the stage, if it's the preacher, the worship leaders, but there's so many other people involved. And I've worked in a couple of large churches, mega churches, where it was comical to work in the church as part of the church, and yet everybody thinks it revolves around the main speaker. And when, you, when you're at, like, the church I was at in Minnesota at one time was about 5,000, it was so funny because people thought they knew the main speaker, but they don't because all they see is for, you know, 40 minutes maybe or 30 on stage once a week, but they don't know him. And then when you interact with him, it's a totally different guy. And I love Pastor Westlake, for instance, when I was on staff at Sheffield, you know, that church runs or did about 3,000. I don't know what they run now, but um, it was funny because every once in a while I'd run into him out in public. Does anybody know him? Sweet, sweet man. Super shy. But you would never know that if you saw him preach because the man, the man is just a ball of fire and personality and just jumping all around and yelling and shouting, but super shy. I remember one Christmas, I happened to be at Macy's in the perfume department getting some for Nicole, and he happened to be there too, and it was comical because I walked up, and these 
these ladies who had been to the church visiting, they were all standing around talking to him, and he was just crawling into himself. I mean, he was trying to melt into the cabinet, and he couldn't get away. And I, saw, I walked up and I said, Pastor, how are you doing? And, you know, I kind of helped him out a little bit there. But um, he didn't run the church. He probably didn't even know everybody who worked at the church. And that's nothing against him. It's just he couldn't have. Because the church staff was so large that actually runs the church. And the same thing is true here. It's people that you don't always see and know what they do. You know, in our office, we have Deborah and Pam who, who do so much behind the scenes that we could never do. And we could never do what we do as a church without them doing what they do. And Debbie and the kids. And I think of all the volunteers that make this church happen on a weekly basis, whether that's Sunday or Wednesday. And I think about the ministry leaders who make things happen. And I think about the volunteers right now who are over in Ranger Kids. Tim's not there tonight. But I was thinking about you when I was writing this because I was thinking about Sunday when we were talking about that and thinking about the week before. And that's a lot of little kids. And I don't know, how many have little kids in their house or have had little kids in their house? The thing is, when they're your kids, it's one thing, right? But then when it's a bunch of other little kids and you're trying to organize and get them going on one thing and... And there's, they come from different homes with different discipline styles and different energy levels. And who knows if they had a soda right before church or whatever. And you've got all these little kids. And I just think about our volunteers who are loving and caring for those kids and teaching them the word of God and trying to, trying to do that in a way that is interesting and, and want, making them want to come back. And I think about you know, Harold Gardner who's trimming bushes out here. And during days when it's 100 degrees and I go out and give him some water and I, I'm just so grateful he's doing that. And people who you don't even probably know have volunteered and just, they just do it. You know, and I know a lot of you know Bob Marriott and I've caught him out there pulling weeds and washing windows. And I think about Bev, Bev Taylor, how many babies has she held in this church and then babies of people who were babies at one time in her arms. And I was just talking with David North right before the church service tonight and the Pathfinders group, the boys he works with. And he does it over and over and over. And those young men grow up into young men and have their own families. And he keeps doing that. I think about PJ teaching Sunday school and the different, the board members that we have at the church. And, you know, they're not all the same every, from year to year to year. But I can tell you what the time they put in, the concern they put in over issues that hopefully help this church continue to run and you don't have to worry about it. Then you think about the hours that they do that and um, you know, there's times, you know, a lot of our meetings don't go super late, you know, maybe nine or 10 these years, but I've been in, we've had meetings that, you know, were to midnight and I, I, that the church doesn't run without that. And I think about the connect group leaders that we have and the time they put into and, and I, I would love to have even more connect group leaders. And it's a lot of work, you know, making sure your house is ready and the lessons ready and all of that that goes into it. And Petro and Larry and putting on the our prime timers ministry and all the help that they have do that. And everybody who's in the kitchen and after the meal and the people who are cleaning up and their arms are all suds it all the way up because they're washing dishes and putting them away and cleaning. And that's the church. That's who runs the church. None of, none of that happens, though, up on stage where everybody sees it. Everybody thinks this is it. Now, maybe you don't because you're smarter than that. But the church is all of you who make the church run. I think about Kelly Woods putting those bookmarks out every week that go in your bulletin that she connects with uh, different mis- two different missionaries every week. And then, you may not know this, but she also sends that to other churches so that they get those same, that same tool. And I've talked to other ministers who say, who is this Kelly Woods? That's an amazing ministry she has because it's increased the, the profile of missionaries to their congregation, and it's something she does because she loves missions, she loves God, she loves the missionaries and what they do, and she does it out of the goodness of her heart. 
And that makes the church run. I think about those who are on the agape committee and the big decisions they have to make and the, the, the prayer that goes into those decisions. And it, it, it's big. And the greeters, the buyers running all the greeters and the ushers with John and Ken taking over communion and the teachers with the time and preparation that goes into teaching our classes. And I was here on a Saturday one day just picking up something for, for something and, and I ran into David Watt who is getting his Sunday school class ready for Sunday. And he teaches, I think, third graders. I'm so impressed. And he's in there making sure it's all set up and he had it all down and he had everything on his bulletin board he was going to do for Sunday. And I thought, that is awesome. Because it's not just some, it's not a fly-by-night thing. He loves these kids. He cares about them. <clears throat> that makes this church what it should be. And if everything's running correctly, you don't notice those things, do you? You're not supposed to. Because it's all working. And if all the lights are on and all the light bulbs are changed, then you don't notice who's, you know, Dan Ferris has changed his light bulbs. I think this week he's not because he's changed them all. But there's some weeks where he comes and he says, man, I changed 30 bulbs tonight. Like, how could we have 30 bulbs out in one night? I don't even know. But I'm just saying you don't notice it. And that's why, because there's a volunteer doing it. And that's the church. And I'm excited about that. But here's the point I'm trying to make. A lot of times we focus on the people up front, but it's really the everybody else walking around and doing the ministry right beside you. And it's, it's almost like it fades in the background. And you don't even notice. And we can walk right by those things and not even see them happen. You may have seen this before, but I get the biggest kick out of this video I want to show you. And it, and it, and it leads into this, and it's going to take us to another place in just a minute. But I want you to notice something about this. So everybody take a look at the screen because I don't want to miss you to miss any of it, especially the intro. So we're going to take a quick look. We already talked about that. Keep looking, though. Count how many times the players wearing white passed the ball. The correct answer is 16 passes. How many got that right? Okay. Did you spot the gorilla? Who did not see it? For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. How many missed the gorilla? If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? How many noticed all those things? Whoa, good. Even in the background. And watch it again. Yeah, watch. This is amazing. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. Isn't that crazy what you can miss? When you're looking for a gorilla, you often miss other unexpected. (laughs) So here's what I'm trying to show you for a minute here. It's so easy to be about doing church that we miss things. It's easy to miss things. And it's easy to be so involved and overwhelmed in your life that you miss things. And it's so easy to be focused on what happens up front that you're not looking around and seeing all of the other things that matter. And I think about the church. Now, I'm transitioning us from our church and all the volunteers here who we could not do church without And it's funny because as I was writing this, I thought, man, I'm never going to mention everybody. But I wasn't trying to. What I'm trying to do is give it as an illustration. And then as you think about the church, and that's a church, not the church. It's not our church. 
and our church doesn't look like that church, but when you think about even the early church in the very, very beginning, so if we count the beginning of the church at the day of Pentecost, let's take a look at these verses real quick just to give us some text context. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So let's just do the math. What did they start at? Anybody have a guess? Educated guess? No? Okay, somebody said 120. That's a very good educated guess. That's what most people think because that number has been mentioned a couple times. It says they were all in the upper room, but it doesn't actually give us a number in that verse. But in another verse, it mentions the 120 or so when they, for instance, chose to replace Judas with Matthias. So um, that, that's a good guess point. So they jumped. I don't even know what that percentage is, but boom, 3,000 people. Can you imagine what it took to run that church? And then let's read on. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. That's a lot of church going on, isn't it? And then the, the apostles are trying to administrate all that. How many of them were there? At this point, there was 12 again because they replaced you know, Judas. So then the next verse says, um, they worshiped together at the temple each day. Even 3,000 people couldn't worship at the temple. It, wasn't, it was big, but it wasn't like that. But still, they worshiped together. Then they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So where they did church was typically in people's homes because they didn't have any buildings. And at the temple, they might worship together, but then actually where they would do what we consider church, probably copying the synagogue structure where they would do some choruses, read scripture, have have one of the apostles teach, and then celebrate the Lord's Supper together. That would have been in homes because they didn't have any other structure to do that. But can you imagine how busy they would have been? I mean, you would have to have structure immediately. Now, this is in chapter 2. By chapter 6, that's when they, oh, my goodness, we've got to to get some deacons involved here and spread out this workload. And so up until this point, they could have been really busy. So this next scripture we're going to look at, the part I wanted to look at today, and the part that has something to do with the gorilla is, let's take a look. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. I want you to imagine this picture for a minute. I might have put a picture in there. I can't remember now. Imagine this, though. You're going into the temple. How many times did they go in the temple? We just read it. Every day. Every day. Every day they went in the temple, Right? When you go every day, what happens? It becomes routine, right? And you start to not see things that are right there because they become part of the fabric, part of the, part of the background. They just become part of the scenery, right? Kind of like the gorilla. Because you're focused on something different. You're trying to get in and worship and do your church thing, and you're not thinking about who you're walking by every day, right? Because look at what this verse says. Oh, I did put a picture in there. This is uh, from a movie I'd never even heard of before, but it's a, just a screenshot from the movie. I don't know if it was like that, but I'm just saying. Each day he was put beside the temple gate. That's the part I want to camp on for just a minute. Because they went to the temple every day, and it says each day he was put there. So how often did they see him? Possibly every day. We don't know for sure. It doesn't say that. I'm just going by what it says in the scripture. They went every day. He was put there every day. They walked right by him. And I did do a little research on this about this gate. They think this is the most common gate people used. 
Because it would have been the most convenient. And they called it Gate Beautiful because of the, the way it was. It, I guess it was a bronze gate. So it would, have, it would have shown with the evening sun at 3 o'clock. I don't know. Anyway, that's what they called it. They said it would have been the most common gate people would have used. So it's, it's, it's quite possible they pass him every day. Possible. Probable. Every day. The one called the beautiful gate so he could beg from people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. I wonder how many times that happened. Do you wonder? I do. I I wonder those things because I think about, okay, if they were there every day, why? Well, anyway, do you realize this this event only happened a few months after Jesus was crucified, right? I mean, Jesus was crucified, then 50 days later is the day of Pentecost. Then a little while later is this event. So it would have been just months after Jesus was crucified. It's possible Jesus could have walked by this guy. Because the Bible doesn't say he healed everybody in every situation. Sometimes he does. But then there's some cases where he heals a person. And it's curious, and I don't know why. I'm not trying to get into like the theology of that. I'm just trying to point out the fact that this guy probably was seen by Peter and John multiple times, if not every single day. And is it possible that it was kind of like the gorilla, I wonder, and they just didn't see him anymore? And then he saw him, and he, and he, he was hoping for some money, which makes sense, totally makes sense. And then verse number For Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. This portion of scripture, you probably heard a lot of sermons on it, maybe read it yourself and thought about it. And and I'm not really talking, this is a powerful portion, but what I want to take a moment at and look at is this. Peter looked at him. I wonder if, if when it says that, Maybe he looked at him for the first time that way. And the reason I mention that is because it says every day in those, those two places. And I wonder sometimes if maybe it was the first time he'd really seen him. I mean, really seen him. Because he'd probably seen him. He may have even stepped over him. But for whatever reason, it wasn't the, I, I don't know, maybe God had him put it in his, I don't know. But here's what I wonder. How many people are we not seeing? How many people do we miss just because they're part of the fabric in the background and we just, we just walk by and it could be even people here. And, not, and before when I was talking about the, the volunteers and all the people who make the church work, and by the way, there's plenty more work to do if you're not doing something and you want to. And I'm not mentioning that for you to necessarily say, hey, thank you, volunteer, for what you do, although that's a good thing. That's not what I meant saying. What I'm saying is that all these people who put the church on every week you may not have realized they do all that, just like we walk by people every day. And it's so hard sometimes to, to see people and you wonder, what are they doing and what do they need? But it's so much easier just to walk by and do what we need to do. And sometimes it's good things we're doing. And I just if, if everything I'm saying is possible and probable, I mean, if Peter and John were walking into the temple to worship on a daily basis, they were going to do good things. Worshiping God is the right thing. But they walk by somebody else to do it. You're wondering what the, kid, the kids are doing at an event outside. That's what you're hearing, the cheering and stuff. Um, at first I thought, is that my video clip again? But it, anyway. Here's the thing. When you look at a beggar sitting there, especially this guy, being lame, it would have been obvious why he was there and what he needed. 
right? But sometimes it's not so obvious. Sometimes when you see somebody, you may not even realize there's a need at all because so often we, we either try to hide it or we just, we're getting along the best we can. And we, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not one to just put everything out there, every problem and everything I need help for. And I mean, personally, I've, I'm not a big fan of pity and having people feel sorry for me and that kind of thing. So, you know, even at my worst, when I was on crutches and all that, I would, I, I would almost not want to go in public because I was tired of people opening the door and little kids saying, oh, poor baby. You know what I mean? But in the middle of that, it's easy for us to miss what is happening all around us. Plus, it's not always obvious. I mean, it just isn't. And there's people walking around us who maybe we're walking around and walking right by every day and they're hurting and they're hurting deeply. And, and we don't know what it is. I mean, they could be hungry. They could be hungry, you know, spiritually, emotionally. They could be angry or families falling apart or the health. And it could be, it could be something, you know, physical, emotional, social, something going on. Maybe the job situation's not the way it should be. Or maybe they're just somebody in need and they, they, need, they need help with something. And, and we don't know because we, we don't see it or we don't see them. And not everybody tells you. I mean, it's times you just don't know. I mean, there's people I know who need rides to church and people I know who at time to time need food and we try to help when we can, but we don't always know. And the thing is, the church, you're the church, and if you know, that's even better. Some people just need rest, but they need a break. Some people need encouragement. And we're walking right by them and we don't know. They're crying out for that. Some people need companionship. I read an article a few weeks ago that said the number one reason right now people are going to churches is for friendship. Isn't that interesting? They say that wasn't true 50 years ago. It wasn't even on the list of reasons 50 years ago. And now it's the number one reason. People need companionship. They need relationships that are not superficial and digital and and on a TV screen. They need something real. People are lost. And we can't even tell. Peter answers his, his, his obvious look and his question. He says, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, of the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. I love this phrase right here, and I, this is the part that I wanted to share with you today. They gave what they had. You know, Peter and, Peter and John were very big shots in the church already, huge. They were rock stars of the church, and they were from the beginning till end. They were Jesus' inner circle favorite guys. Peter, James, and John were the favorites. They were right there with Jesus all the time, but that didn't mean they had money just to give away. And they didn't. They did not have it. But here's the thing. They gave what they did have. They did give what they had. That, and, and another thing to think about is this guy's presenting need, his, his need for money. They couldn't meet that need. But they could meet a need that was even greater. He didn't even know what his greater need was. And, and interestingly, too, he didn't see them as somebody who could meet that greater need, which was the need for healing. And ultimately, the need for salvation, which I'm sure they, he got all of that in one package there. But here's the thing. They did what they could. And I'm wondering tonight if you ever wonder what you have to give. Because it's not always about money. I mean, money's 
important, no question. I mean, we live in a world that is run by money in a lot of ways, but it's not the only thing. And I would even say it's not the most important thing. And you may wonder, because I'm, I'm trying to make this very personal where you're walking by people all the time and you don't know what their need is and you're thinking, well, I probably can't even help them because I don't have what they need. And I understand that. You may not feel like you're equipped. And you may not have everything you need. And you may be thinking, well, there's probably somebody better to meet people's needs who are walking around. You know, you're probably thinking maybe the, the worship team should because they've got money. I'm just kidding about that. Maybe you're thinking this like I think sometimes. Like, I don't have all the answers. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm not perfect either. I mean, I, this guy's got problems. I got way more problems than him. He doesn't even know. Maybe you're thinking, I'm just a beggar too. But here's the thing. You're at least a beggar that can show that beggar where the bread is. I, I love that. There's an old saying. It's a, it's a Japanese proverb. It says, when, when is the best time to plant a tree? Have you ever heard this? It's like 30 years ago or today. And I think about that with being equipped because there's a lot of times where maybe you don't feel like you have all the answers, and, and none of us do. But rather than sitting back and saying, I can't help these people because I don't know what to do, how about jump in and figure out what to do? That's a good thing. And to learn and be more equipped. This, this verse, I remember this from being a kid, and um, you know, work, so hard, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the word of truth. I hope that you guys become lifelong learners and never get stuck and think that, that you're done learning or developing because I bet you there's somebody who you're walking by that needs something you have or needs something you could have and you could get and help them with. Maybe you're somebody who thinks, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. I, I don't have the answers. I think I've probably mentioned this before, but years ago when I was a youth pastor in California, I got a call out of the blue one day from this guy and he said, hi, my name is Bill Morgan. I'm an engineer and I do talks on creation evolution. I said, oh, really? I was, I was interested, but I'm like, how'd you get my number? And he said, well, I started in the top of the phone book, and Assembly of God is right up there. I said, okay. And, you know, my thought is, well, are you any good at it? And um, he, so I thought, well, I had some high school Bible studies we were doing, and I thought, well, it can't be much of a risk. They're 20 minutes long. You know, kids are eating lunch during it anyway. So this guy shows up classic engineer you know he had the black slacks on white shirt pocket protector pens glasses he was incredible most incredible presenter i've ever seen on that topic he was amazing amazing had the kids riveted from beginning to end just incredible and i used him for years and years while we lived there and uh this guy what he does on his lunch breaks and on his free time he would go to ucla usc all the big schools and walk around the, the, their open quad areas and just engage people and talk about the faith. Talk about creation, evolution. And I said to him one time, I said, Bill, is it, what do you, you can't know everything. What, I mean, what happens when you get a question you don't know the answer to? Here's what he said. He goes, I'm, I'm actually excited to get those questions. I said, excited? I'd be afraid to death of that. And he said, why? Because when somebody asks me a question I don't know the answer to, what I do is I go home and I find out the answer, then that will never happen again. I might have another question I don't know the answer to, but not that one, because now I know that one. And then the next day, if that happens, I'll find out the answer to that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. And I looked at him, and I thought, what a guy. I want to be like that. You know, somebody who loves learning and is excited about sharing the truth with people. Here's the thing. Give, give, I almost said share. Give what you have. Give what you do have. Because the truth is, you may think it's not enough, but it's not up to you. 
We, we serve a God. There's a supernatural component to this you can never, ever forget about. Because there's a God who loves those people more than you. And the people you're walking by, he loves them more and he's noticed them and knows all about them. And he knows their care and their need. And he knows what you have to give. And when you're giving what you have, he multiplies it and does what it needs to do. Don't ever forget this. Jesus said it this this way. He said, um, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. You don't have to be some rock star person who can witness to anybody about anything. The truth is you just have to give what you have and let the Holy Spirit work in it. Nobody expects you to do it all. This next part of that story with Peter and John, all the people saw him, the the former cripple guy, walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate. Did you catch that? They walked by him every day too. And they recognized him and they said, wait a minute, that's that guy who's usually sitting down, probably by his clothes, don't you think? I mean, as a beggar, he would have been dressed more like a beggar than them. And all of a sudden, this guy's up walking around and like, what do I know him from? Oh my gosh, that's the guy we walk by every day. And then they say, they were absolutely astounded. I like that, absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Tightly to Peter and John. I love that part. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk of our own power or godliness? You know what I love about this verse? Peter saw his opportunity. He saw it. He stood there and he was an opportunist for Jesus. He saw his opportunity and he grabbed it with both hands. But I've noticed this about me and probably about you. There's a lot of times where I avoid those opportunities. I might see them happening and then for whatever reason I avoid it. Maybe I don't feel qualified. Maybe some of the things we mentioned a minute ago. Or you think someone else will do it better or could do it better. Or maybe it's not my time. Or maybe, maybe God really, is this really something I should step into? I'm not sure. Maybe we don't feel ready. <laughs> maybe you're saying it's not my job. I've shared this before, but it's just too... Too good to not share again. Right here, look at this. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. And anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. And somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job, but everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. And it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. I have a good friend. He rewrote it this way. He said, Ain't nobody nor everybody can do what God's called somebody, which is you, to do. Hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's humbling and, and challenging at the same time, but the fact is that God has uniquely gifted every one of us and put every one of us in a unique situation. Nobody here lives in the same place and does the same thing, runs in the same circles and goes the same places. Just we don't. And God that does that by design. The fact is there are people that you are uniquely uniquely qualified to reach that you're walking by every day that only you can reach. There's opportunities everywhere, all around you. I want to challenge you on a couple things. I want to challenge you to, to, I think I wrote it up here. Yeah. Have you ever thought about praying for those opportunities? (laughs) I know some of you are like, no, I don't want them. I'm afraid of that. I don't want any opportunities. But let me, let me just put it out there like this. If, if God is really God, right, he is, and if he loves you, and he does, and he loves them, 
and he does. And he really wants to use you to reach them, and he does. Why wouldn't you ask him to orchestrate those things? And then he would do it in a way that, that you wouldn't, he's not going to leave you out to dry and embarrass you and, and put you in awkward situations and ruin your life. He's trying to save them through you who he's already saved. So why wouldn't he do that? And if you pray and ask him to do that, then I want to challenge you to look for those opportunities and then to step into them. Step into them. Let's, let's move into this. Peter goes on to say, we didn't heal this guy. It was through faith in the name of Jesus this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith, I love that he says this. You know how crippled he was before. Because Peter knew too. And I always, I always wonder, that's one of those questions you know, people talk about when they get to heaven, they're going to ask questions. This is not a real important one, but I'm going to ask. Like, why didn't he get healed before? But still. He knew, they knew, they knew, he knew, they all knew that he had been crippled before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. I love this. Peter preached Jesus. That's what Peter preached. He didn't preach about the new and growing church. He didn't say, hey, we have 3,000 people in our new church. You guys should come. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not what he preached. He preached Jesus because it should be about Jesus, always about Jesus. He was trying to lead those people to Jesus. Now, the people that you interact with and you walk by every day who need things, they need things. There's a lot of times we're going to be meeting needs, but ultimately what they need is Jesus. Always they need Jesus. You may have heard of um, St. Francis of Assisi. He was, a, he was actually an Italian monk in the 12th century, but they, um, one of the quotes that he's attributed with is to say, he says, preach Jesus always, use words if you must. Have you heard that before? It's attributed to him. And he, he may have said that um, and it's a powerful statement. The idea is that we are a living letter. And Paul, Paul said that as a living letter in 2 Corinthians. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablet stone, but on human hearts. In that same passage or area of scripture, he talks about us being the sweet aroma of God. He talks about reflecting God. But, but here's the problem with that, attributing to Francis of Assisi. He was actually a preacher. He was a preacher. So he may have said that, but he wouldn't have said do that and not preach. I'm just saying. Yes, live it before everybody. Let your life preach and let your life be a living letter. But he also would have preached because he was a preacher. And he spread the gospel in an incredible way as a preacher. And think about this in 2 Corinthians. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do tonight. Not tonight. Well, even tonight. Do it tonight. Yes, do it tonight. But do it every day. Be a noticer. Notice those people you walk by. And, and I know you're, you're not going to do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to imagine you doing this as you're walking around. You're kind of looking. Hmm. Now, don't, here's what I'm saying. There are people you're walking by every day of your life who are needing something. And it might, and it might be money. I don't know. But it might be, might be a friendship or a companionship or it might be uh, maybe they need Jesus and you have him. But notice what those things are and, and give what you have. Give what you have. Give what you have. And then preach. Let them hear it. Do it, do it with your life and do it with your love, but also do it with your voice. I'm going to close this out right here tonight. And you are welcome to stay and pray or, or get up and notice each other or whatever you want to do. But, but here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God would orchestrate some of these events for you. So that just like Peter and John walking into that gate beautiful... Maybe it's somebody you've walked by a million times, but God is going to say, hey, this person needs, or maybe it's just you not even knowing what it is, but 
you feel compelled to say, hi, my name is whatever your name is. I was going to say Dennis, and then that would be weird if you all said that. Let's, let me pray for you tonight. Father, we do believe that you are a God who loves us immensely and that you love everybody we encounter every day, all day. Quick trip to McDonald's, to Home Depot, to Menard, everywhere we go. God, that you love those people we walk by and encounter every day, the people right here in this church. God, I know that, that so many we encounter have needs that are so deep, and, and um, I, I know that I am not worthy or capable of meeting those needs, but you are. And I pray, God, that you would make some of those divine appointments, orchestrate some of those, those relationships and meetings that we would be able to follow through with that. Give us the words necessary at the right moment that just as you, as you said, Jesus, that, that your Holy Spirit, the, the comfort of the advocate, would give us the words to say at the right moment that we would need to say. That you would help us, Lord God, in the name of Jesus to fulfill that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're welcome to pray as long as you'd like. Or if you'd like prayer for anything, please let us know that too. God bless you tonight. Just in tears.